the feel for it. He genuinely thinks, and I think we all kind of feel, it's a different vibe. And he, it's different than what he has felt at any time in the first 10 years. Welcome to Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, with Brian Sexton, John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, and J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, starts right now. Welcome into the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. It is Monday, March 28th. J.P. Shadrick, Ashlyn Sullivan, Brian Sexton here in Jacksonville. John Osher is down at the NFL annual meeting in Palm Beach, Florida. It's commonly known as the owners' meetings, a busy week. Coming up, we'll hear from Jags head coach Doug Peterson. He spoke Monday morning at the Breakers in Palm Beach. Well, uh, John Osher spoke with Jaguars owner Shad Khan this afternoon. That interview is scheduled to go out, I believe, on Tuesday on Jaguars.com. And it's not very often that Mr. Khan is on the record, but uh, it always is news when he speaks, John. What was the biggest takeaway from Shad Khan today? About three or four questions in, I not so subtly reminded him that he just finished writing a lot of checks. <laughs> and he, uh, he laughed and said, yes, I did. And, but he said, you know, I'm alluding, of course, to free agency. And he said, uh, uh, happy to write those checks because the overall feeling is that they got better with it. Uh, and again, it, it struck me. And maybe this wasn't what he said, but as he was saying it, I was struck by it again. This whole notion that, uh, you know, somehow over the years he hasn't spent money or hasn't been willing to open up the checkbooks, which to me, every time I get a question like that, it sort of slaps me back of how sometimes people miss things because nothing could be further from the truth. And again, sitting there talking to him today, uh, I, I'm always reminded, and all, all three of you have talked to him as well. This guy wants to win, and everything he does is, is about winning. He talked also at the very beginning, you know, he's genuinely thinks that there's a different vibe in the building. He's been there. He kept referring back, Brian and Ashlyn, to being there 10 years. And I really think there's something to that for him. He's got the experience now. It takes a while to learn to be an NFL owner. And three or four different times while I talked to him, he talked about having been there 10 years, the feel for it. And he genuinely thinks, and I think we all kind of feel it's a different vibe, and he it's different than what he has felt at any time in the first 10 years. I've been here now for, you know, 10 years, and what I see is really the teamwork at every level. Mm -hmm. uh, the connectivity, the human connection, uh, but also how are we going to win football games, mm -hmm. uh, you know? I think uh, so... Um, who the opponents are, how we match up, and that is basically shaping up um, how our player development is going to be and how our player acquisition is going to be. We have never had the working level where you want the player personnel uh, staff, uh, really, who's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, working with the coaching staff. So um, where it is, it is literally a lot of open discussion on where our weaknesses is, mm -hmm. are, where our opponent's weaknesses might be, and where the strengths are, and how do we develop it uh, and turn it into uh, really a winning program. I, I, it's worth pointing out that Mr. Weaver, the first owner of the Jaguars, 
was in the building a lot more than Shad Khan on a, on a daily basis, especially the last six or seven years that he owned the team. And it took him that long to figure it out. He was there every day. Shad obviously has this global enterprise where he's traveling and managing a number of different businesses. If anybody thought that it wouldn't take him that kind of time, I think they were unrealistic. And when you go through this whole cycle, which included that one winning season, which gave him that taste of what it takes. Um, you know, finally now you can start to look back and, you know, they say those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. Well, now he knows history and he's trying not to repeat it. Yes, he's seen what's worked and he has absolutely seen what hasn't worked. And you go to that short stint of winning in the 2017 season and it's kind of similar when you look at those off season and the free agency and the checkbook, they spent a lot of money for that 2017 year. And I think it was notable when Doug Peterson Monday morning talked about spending all that money in free agency. And he said, yeah, we signed seven free agents and we had to for this season, but that's absolutely not the mold that you want to follow every single season. Spending money is great. Getting new players is great. But I think it was notable that Mr. Khan and Doug Peterson both mentioned free agency, spend money, but we don't want to be here every single year. Yeah, JP, uh, you know, okay, get back to you, but he, he uh, I also I also asked him about the Sports Performance Center, and yes. I get that for a lot of fans, that's not front burner stuff yet, because they just barely broke ground on it. But Earth has been moved, and <laughs> it's a real thing if you if you drive by it. And he talked about that for a little while, and he used the phrase a couple of times: "It was time." I think he he realizes that needed to be done. It needed to be state of the art. It was time to do it. And I do think there's an overriding theme of, you know, as you build one of those things, it doesn't guarantee anything, but new facilities, new infusion into it does sort of signify a new era and a step forward. You've got to have something like that in the NFL these days. We've all been to enough facilities. If you don't have that, if you're old and antiquated and are going to stay old and antiquated, it's tough. You know, there's some recruiting involved in free agency and keeping players it feels like this is a step forward into I'm an old man. I don't know what century it is anymore. It used to be 20th when I was a kid, but <laughs> whatever century we're going into this performance center is stepping the Jaguars into it. You know, we're ready for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think um, it's something we really need because benchmarking, comparing ourselves, what the players need. And this was really driven by the players as much as anything else. And, you know, we committed to it uh, over a year ago uh, that, okay, we were going to do it and, it, you know, and really have a benchmark state-of-the-art facility that was going to help uh, develop, uh, you know, be our players, be the best they can be. The footprint of the Football Performance Center is massive. And, yes, dirt has been moved, concrete has been poured, and at least they're beginning some things there. This is the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. The interview, uh, John Ozier with Jaguars owner Shad Khan, coming up Tuesday on Jaguars.com. Check that out. What head coach Doug Peterson said this morning about Trevor Lawrence and much more after this. Welcome back to Jaguars Reporters. J.P. Shadrick, Ashlyn Sullivan, Brian Sexton in Jacksonville. John Osier down in Palm Beach at the NFL annual meeting. John, how is the Breakers, by the way? Nice? I'm not staying there. I, I drew the short straw, which means they handed me the short straw. There was no drawing. It's majestic. I mean, I, I've, uh, it's, it's historic, and it's, it's unbelievable. So as Schlin knows, being from Palm Beach, 
the water, even in the ocean, I made a joke to somebody today. It's amazing that the wealthy can even buy better water than anybody else has because the ocean's beautiful. So, oh but it's, gosh. it's an unbelievable facility. It's, it, it's, you know, I don't know if you call it a facility. They should build this as the Jaguars performance center. That'd be cool. I'm on board for that. Let's go back to the hometown. <laughs> that wouldn't be bad at all. Uh, let's hear from Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson this morning, the AFC coaches breakfast at the Breakers in Palm Beach. Trevor Lawrence, of course, a topic, and how they plan to build the offense around the quarterback skill set. Number one, he's, he's athletic. Number two, he throws the ball extremely well. He fits the RPO scheme on offense. He can fit the play-action pass. Obviously, you got to have the ability to run the football, and I really feel like with James Robinson, Travis Etienne, we got guys there that can really help us in the run game. The addition of Brandon Scherf, you know, getting, getting uh, Tyler Shatley back, Cam Robinson, you know, kind of solidifying that offensive line a little bit, keeping those pieces around Trevor, and now going into year two for him, really I think we're going to see some really good growth uh, as we begin you know, our offseason program in a couple of weeks to really and really start shaping our offense around him, right, and what he can do. And I really believe it's the, it's the, the play-action game, the quarterback movement game. He throws the ball extremely well outside the pocket on the run. And those are things that we can try to try to develop. That's Doug Peterson this morning. Asked about Trevor Lawrence. Of course, uh, we're at least a couple weeks away from the start of the offseason program, Brian, where they can actually start implementing some of this, get them in the building, get around them, and talk a little football finally. I'm sure they're chomping at the bit to, to finally get to do that, not just talk about life outside of football. Well, and, and for the coach who came here to develop Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that is the most important part of it. Played the game as a quarterback for all those years, coached them at a high level afterwards. Those two to have that meeting of the minds for them to be able to actually talk about what works and what doesn't and what he likes and what he doesn't. I mean, th that will be critical. That'll be a critical time for the fall to be able to make great progress in April, May and June. And just knowing Trevor like we do and knowing of Doug like we do. Um, I would expect them to get a lot done, even though they won't be on the field every day. Yeah, I actually asked that question, and I, it was phrased as, after really digging into the tape on this guy, because Doug Peterson watched football last year, but I don't know if he watched every play Trevor Lawrence ran. You know, I kind of wanted to know what you saw that you really think is going to fit into your scheme. And it was, it was striking to me that he talked so much about the ability to throw accurately outside the pocket, the ability to move, his RPO skill. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I don't think it's going to be him running all the time, a la Lamar Jackson. But clearly, they think his mobility, his movement, that element of his game is where he can really thrive. So if you're looking for clues as how this is going to look, it seemed like Doug moved it a little forward with that uh, quote, and that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, and I loved when we, we talked all offseason about protecting Trevor Lawrence, and that's the number one priority. And, and the question was asked, okay, well, why keep Cam Robinson? And that was a major question for us. You saw both sides that you saw the cap hit, and the answer was, well, we have to protect the quarterback, and we need experience there. We need continuality there. So I like when Doug Peterson mentioned that because there was a lot of questions at left tackle, and you, you could have gone so many different directions. But what we said all offseason, protect Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson made it clear that was the priority. It was pretty clear listening to him today, JP. I thought for the news nuggets about like the intricacies of the roster, pretty clear Cam Robinson starts left tackle, I think we all knew, yeah. and talked a lot about 
uh, Jawan Taylor, yep. uh, and uh, Walker Little competition. I mean, it, it's I'm not sure who to say is ahead there. And then with Brandon Linder retiring, uh, I have a major question because what they do at center is is a Tyler Shatley the guy going forward? Do they draft there? You know, so I think we're starting to see the pieces fall into place. But uh, when they line up on August 20th, and we're all sitting there sweating in the sun. We're going to be watching Jawan Taylor and uh, Walker Little block out Josh Allen, and it'll be notable this summer. No, oh, no doubt about that. And all eyes will be fixed on those uh, workouts and training camp. Let's hear a little more from Doug Peterson today. You know, back in the 2017 season with the Eagles, uh, well, Peterson was known for rolling the dice a bit on fourth downs. He was asked about that and moving it forward to the Jags. I wasn't going into 17 trying to be a trendsetter. You know, we're trying to do what we can to win football games. And any time that we can maybe steal a possession on offense, you know, we were going to try to do that uh, back then. And I think I think because of that, I think you're seeing more and more teams uh, around the league, you know, the fourth and ones and fourth and twos, you know, making those decisions to stay on the field. Now, you know, they're being smart about it, field position, all of that. Um, but... I think they're understanding that they can have that extra possession and hopefully that translates into points. You have to listen to the analytics. You have to listen to, you know, what they say. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about the players and, and our opponent. How, how is our opponent in those third and one, fourth and one, fourth and twos? How do they play defense? And so it boils down ultimately to the head coach making the decision. But analytics can play a small part. In, in helping me in making a decision to go for it or not. That's Doug Peterson today. Brian, can you imagine uh, you know, as many fourth down and, and one you know, in your own end tries back in like 1995? That wasn't quite a thing. No. That's a, it's a new <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> no, I can, I can remember going to uh, Indianapolis uh, in 2010 and Jack Del Rio going for it on the opening drive of the third quarter at his own 45, right? Not like Brandon Staley. Uh, for the Chargers there at the end of the year, we went for it on his like own eight. Um, but but Jack went for it, and they didn't get it. And Peyton Manning went and scored a touchdown on the next drive, and, and the game was essentially over. And just the, the grief that Jack got. But in today's game, especially that close to midfield, that's what it is. Well, we are an analytics-based game these days. And I know coaches will always say, you know, that that's part of the equation. But this year, we saw so many more coaches you know, working with fourth down than we ever had before. And I, I know I've mentioned it 37 times, but if you haven't read Doug's book, he does a lot in the book about fourth down and his aggressive mentality, where it came from, when he applies it, and why he's always trying to refine it. I highly recommend Fearless um, if you're looking to get some more insight into why he is the way that he is. Yeah. Hey, P, while we're on topic, uh, Ozone Podcast this week will be uh, – the co-author of Fearless, Dan Pompey. I sat down with him for about 15 minutes this morning. Cool. And I talked about Doug Peterson. So a uh, little uh, shameless self-promotion and a little That's, Dan Pompey promotion mixed in there as well. Well, he, and he's, he is one of the best NFL writers of, the la- of my career, which is almost 30 years. Uh, a guy who's been around the Chicago area. So I think really highly of him. Highly recommend his book, too. So two of the best NFL writers on that podcast, JP. Oh, wow. How about that? <laughs> wow <Wow-y. laughs> Okay. Wow-y. Humble. Humble. 
I love it. I knew nobody else was going to say it. So. <laughs> Let's hear uh, one more time from Doug Peterson this morning. Of course, working with Trent Balky to build the roster here in Jacksonville. Well, what did he learn about roster building working in Philadelphia with the Eagles GM, Howie Roseman? My relationship with Howie and with the communication process that we had, listening to his ideas, listening to my ideas, uh, even listening to my assistant coaches and their ideas, and really kind of formulating opinions that way on, on how to put a roster together. And, and by no means do I want to play general manager at all. I don't. I want to be. I want to be coach, and I want to coach the guys. But at the same time, you know, you want to have a say in, in the guys you're coaching, right? And uh, I just feel like the relationship that Trent and I have, he really leans heavily on on the coaching staff and, and our opinions because at the end of the day, like I said, we're the ones that coach these players. And we want to be able to have, you know, the guys we want on the field um, to coach. Ashlyn, it's a team effort, of course, in roster building. And yeah, you can have the scouting side and the personnel side and then the coaching staff side, as you heard there. I think it was um, Bill Parcells that said, you know, if I'm going to make the meal, I need to be able to shop for some of the groceries. This is not that. They're all on the same team together. He said it right there. He doesn't want to be the GM. But so far, so good, it feels like, or it sounds like, in that relationship. Yeah, and that makes total sense why he should have a say in it. And I don't think it's something where he needs to make a, a huge statement. I mean, obviously, the coach is going to have a say in those things. And it's clear that they're working well together. And, and I think it's been clear that they needed to address that because there's been so many questions of Trent Balky staying and how the heck is this going to work? And, oh, my gosh, you guys – must be fighting and coach Peterson has been very clear no you know we're working professionals we're making it work it's growing as we learn each other um and I think with the way that how many times he's addressed I think he felt like it was needed to address that and now it's time to move on I mean now they're working together they've been passed for agency and it's all draft talk so hopefully not everyone pays as much attention to how the heck are you two working together when you see him walk in the hallways down here all the time Dave I mean uh this morning between meetings Last night as well. I mean, they're, uh, you know, as you'd expect, they'd start working together and they're together constantly. There's a lot of exchanging of ideas. They seem in lockstep. At least they were in lockstep walking down the hall. Each one was left foot, right foot. <laughs> you know, Brian, it's, it's one of those where these guys have been in the league a long time, but they'd never crossed paths before. I mean, that, that just takes a little time and energy to, to figure each other out first and then go work together. Well, and effort, right? I mean, so, and not just on Doug's part, because he's coming in, you know, knowing that he's got to get to know Balky, but, but on Trent Balky's part as well, to take the effort to include the coach in everything and to work on building this relationship similar to the one that Doug had with Howie Roseman that worked so well in Philadelphia. So, you know, look, they have to work together. The owner has put them together, so they might as well both jump in with both feet and and figure it out and it's you know it's, it's i'm i'm grateful that they're doing it and that you get doug in a moment of, of candor where he says i don't i don't want to be the gm well there aren't a lot of coaches in this league that say that because all of them want to have a say in the personnel they want to have that vote that weight on the scale uh for him to say hey i just want to be the coach um it's refreshing i like it and and that has to uh, in, in deer is probably not the right word, but create, you know, a good feeling on the other side with bulky about getting something that's a positive working experience. 
The full interview and uh, media availability with Doug Peterson available on Jaguars.com and the Jaguars social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And finally, while all that was going on this morning, Jaguars center Brandon Linder announced his retirement from the NFL on his Instagram page. He spent eight seasons with the Jags, a third-round pick in 2014. He became one of the highest-paid centers in football. In fact, I think he was at the time of his extension originally. But he played only 88 games in eight seasons. That means, John, that he missed 41 games with an assortment of injuries. That will be the story for Linder in his career. I hope that's not the entire story, but it certainly will be a part of it. You also wonder, I think it was uh, 11 games each of the last two seasons, or nine, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there were four seasons he didn't reach double digits and games played, and these last two were two of them. So, you know, I haven't talked to Brandon. Uh, you know, you wonder if he looked at it this offseason and said, you know what, haven't been able to stay on the field the last couple of years. The, you know, it, it's a lot of rehab work and a lot of effort to get your body ready. Maybe he thought it just hasn't really been working. Hasn't, you know, there comes a point where they put their bodies through this. I think he said the phrase he'd been playing since he was since seven or 11 years old. It's a long time to put your body through the season and the grind to get ready. Ashlyn, Brian, I'll give it up to you in a second. But, you know, Linder strikes me as one of those guys who, had he played during an era where they made the playoffs five out of eight years, he might be a potential uh, pride of the Jaguars type guy, meaning he probably makes a Pro Bowl or two during that time because of the reputation of the team. Really good player, stays healthy. You know, I hope he's not just forgotten by Jaguars fans. It's tough to have the memorable career and be endeared as much by fans when you've lost as much. Uh, sort of the same thing with Miles Jack a couple weeks ago. You, know, you hope these guys who sort of played during this tough era are remembered fondly by fans. I think they will be, but you hope that's the case. Well, look, um, you know, Linder in, in week two of his second season, that, the Jaguars played the Miami Dolphins, and they came in with Indomitian Sue, who had just signed that mega free agent contract uh, with Miami. And Brandon Linder kicked his ass. I mean, he didn't even have an assisted tackle. And I can remember watching the tape and talking to Tony and to Jeff Loggeman about it. And it was one of the most dominant performances that we had seen from a Jaguars offensive lineman since Baselli. I mean, in a single game, he just dominated him. And he, he tweaked his shoulder and was done for the rest of the year. Didn't play another game. And that was the first, uh-oh. You know, here was a guy whose star was starting to shine brightly. And it... I think injuries derailed him from being the best he possibly could be. And I'll never forget when he left in 2017 for those five or six weeks and Shatley jumped in there and played at such a high level. And I thought, okay, I mean, Linder had the potential to be a great player and injuries kept him from being there. That he got eight years and at one point, as JP mentioned, was the highest paid center in the game, fitting for the kind of player that we all thought he would be. We just didn't get to see enough of it. Yeah, and something that should be so appreciative, I think, is in his in his post on Instagram when he said that I wanted to retire as a Jaguar. It could have been so easy for Brandon to go test free agency. He would have gotten picked up by another team, but it was so clear. He kept talking about in his statement how much he loves Jacksonville and how this is a dream city for him to live in. And it was clear he wanted to retire as a Jaguar. It wasn't panning out. Okay, rather than go play one more year and see what happens – I'd rather just retire as a Jaguar. And I think that's notable for, for a guy who absolutely could have gotten picked up by another team. I can't wait for the question. 
as soon as the first interior lineman gets hurt this year, yeah. I'm going to get 13 ozone questions. <laughs> Can Brandon Lander come back? <laughs> so, there's that. It's They're still thinking Paz is going to come back, JP. I know. Yeah. Right? You'll have to get him out of some deer stand. Um, that's where he'll be. There's not a deer. <laughs> oh, that's true. Deer, turkey, duck, you know, sport fish uh, within 500 miles. It has a chance now with Brandon Linder out there all year round. Uh, that'll do it for Jaguars reporters. John, safe travels back. We'll look forward to your ShotCon interview coming up tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> That's John Ozer and Paul Beach. Brian Sexton. I was already halfway up 95. Ashton Sullivan. I'm J.P. Chandler. We'll see you next time on Jaguars reporters.